Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uktana, and today we'll be talking about whether or not there's anything scary or worth being afraid of in the Akashics, and what that means for your journey. So, is there anything to be afraid of in the Akashics? Nope. People often take the as-above-so-below aphorism literally. For example, Adam was made in God's image, therefore God must be a man, and a man should be the template for all life and all life functions. Another example, if there are hierarchies of life forms here, there must be similar or exactly the same types of hierarchies in the spirit realm. Hence the many lists and descriptions of angels and ascended masters in hierarchical order. These concepts, extrapolated from our embodied experience, attempt to help us understand and therefore have control and agency over the spiritual. This would be a very helpful enterprise if our experience here were a microcosm of the Akashic experience, of what life is like for us when we're home as spiritual beings. However, the embodied experience on this planet is not meant to be a tiny embodied replica of the rest of existence any more than a general K-12 through public education is meant to replicate adult life. In fact, this embodiment is far from replicating anything else and instead is highly focused on specific topics, which is exactly why it's so valuable a place for experience and growth, as well as for learning crucial lessons of becoming. Being corporeal, here or otherwise, allows us the privilege of being encased in a body. Here, we can fully experience our own thoughts and emotions without causing anyone else distress. There's an irony in the fact the one thing most people feel so pained by, being disconnected from others, is one of the things we most prize in deciding to become embodied. Because our natural state is without form or boundaries in any sense we would recognize here. Our normal soul-level means of connection is to merge with the other. We communicate with our thoughts and our emotions. We therefore must regulate everything we think and feel in every moment so as not to harm or discomfort any other being. And in most cases, we're in community at all times. Being embodied allows us to think and feel whatever we want, as much as we want, whenever we want, without harming anyone. This allows us to learn the myriad of lessons which are unique to this planet. Distilled down to their essence, this planet teaches about love and fear. One of the most difficult lessons to reach and work through is the realization these are not opposites. Love is not something to achieve nor is fear something to overcome. The point is to accept fear and to love despite it, because of it, and to become through it. On the way to learning this, we are led to discover things such as fear is actually the hot spice in the chocolate of love, which heightens the experience, or that without having experienced fear, we cannot truly understand the depths and the breadths of all love's aspects. Fear allows us the honor of experiencing grief, the sorrow of loving, and joy, the brilliant extreme of loving. And without this, our knowledge of love is less. 
Embodied experience is the classroom where we're able to explore what is negative in ourselves, in circumstances, and in others. Which leads us to something I don't often speak of, but is worth mentioning here. Are there bad things here in this embodied world? Yes. Just as embodiment must provide us with the spiritual energies to be and thrive here, including physical necessities, emotional experiences, and mental challenges, so it must also provide the structure and the wherewithal for negative events to occur. Therefore, if there is a Gaia supporting our beingness, there must be beings trying to subvert us in order for fear to exist. These things lead us, in any given lifetime, to learn there is evil out there. Bad things happen to good people, and we should be aware of what could happen. If you burn your hand, you become particularly aware of what might be hot and treat those things with special care and attention to prevent further burning incidents. If you've been abused by someone, you'll seek to avoid having a reoccurrence of the event in a similar situation or from someone who seems similar to your experience of the abuser. This is one of the ways we learn here and is one of the reasons why we take as above, so below, so literally at times. If life is like this here, then the same must exist there, right? Luckily, no. The structure of embodied life here is meant to teach us specific skills and lessons in the same way the rubber band trick can teach us how to hold and use chopsticks. In case you've never seen it, when someone is new to using chopsticks, it can help to take a rubber band and twist it around the handle ends several times until it's tight, then put a paper or a piece of napkin between them as a fulcrum. The person can then squeeze them open and closed easily without fumbling either them or their food. Having the rubber band on the chopsticks is a means for us to develop the physical skills of using chopsticks, not an indicator that all chopsticks need, have, or will acquire rubber bands. Once we gain the dexterity with our hands to utilize them effectively, the rubber band can be removed and our options for exploring ourselves and the world broaden exponentially. With that said, there are times when people experience fear or are confronted with things which are frightening in the moment when they're working in the Akashics. The most common is when they're re-experiencing the ending of a past life where they died violently or were abused. Reading or recalling a past life is often a virtual reality type experience. We feel as if we're actually there, or our nervous system is triggered enough to take us through the fight-flight-freeze response to events and our emotions follow suit. The fear response can be heightened when we don't know why we're being shown this particular life or feel trapped in the review process. Usually the fear subsides as we realize the lesson or wisdom or message being imparted and we reground ourselves in the now. People can feel fear or trepidation when encountering beings in the Akashics who are unemotional, overly focused on their tasks, or who become hyper-focused on the person. This is not because there's anything wrong with the beings or the situation, but because we're experiencing them from the perspective of embodied life. As humans, we're not only social, interconnected beings, but mammals who see fitting into groups, you know, family, community, profession, tribe, as positive and even necessary. 
we describe and define ourselves by the type of connections we have, sometimes how many we have, and their quality. We use these connections to measure how much we feel welcomed and appreciated versus lonely or shunned. Not all beings in the Akashics use this method. This means their behaviors, social cues, and general energy signature can seem cold, frightening, and even predatory. There's no harm intended nor anything truly to be afraid of. However, it can be an indicator that the embodied person has wandered into a place or a situation where they're not best suited and they should move on. Another reason people feel fear is when their work in the Akashics brings them into direct contact with a lesson or situation which they're afraid to confront. Most Akashic work, in whatever form it comes and no matter the method, is undertaken in order for the person to unfold more of their soul-level potential. This can be through lessons learned, experiences acquired, or transformational processes in every color of the rainbow. This means that the things we're most afraid of, the tsunami of emotions we keep at bay, the monster in the closet, or the dragon which waits for us to slay it, will at some point be the door we must go through to move forward. For some, we'll have a heads up, like when Yoda brought Luke to the tree to confront his most core self. When asked what was in there, Yoda replied, only what you bring with you. Now, this is somewhat of a setup, because if the student doesn't have any fears, lessons, or dragons to confront, then there's no reason for their teacher to send them in. However, the fear, once confronted, allows us to make choices which will often leap us forward on our path. For others, there's no warning, just the reality of what we need to deal with. Fear is often the wisdom of our higher self attempting to point us in the direction of our best and highest good. This can mean realizing we should retreat as we've been going the wrong way all along, or it can be helping us to recognize that the only way forward is through. No matter whether we are forewarned or experience a jump scare, our fear isn't about anything dangerous in the Akashics. The event we're being confronted with is just one more means of supporting our transformation and unfolding. It's up to us to choose whether we will engage with it or not. Students who move out from the library and into the wider experience of the Akashic landscape, who work with their guides and start exploring what is possible, often find they're working in a much more profound dreamscape than they have ever done before in their dreams. Most dreams are not calls to action, but informative. They tell us about our world, about our opinions and thought processes, about our fears and the interactions which are most affecting us at any given moment. They are movie lessons trying to wake us up to how we're living in this life, the actions to be taken here when we're waking. Many students interact with the Akashics in the same way. They go there and passively receive information about themselves or treat the process like a public aquarium, where there are many exhibits to learn from, some can be interacted with, but with specific rules and always a bit of personal distance. It's cool to know facts about sharks, to see them swim, to touch an anemone or sea star, but this only affects us so much. The event is educational entertainment, and afterwards, we return to our lives enriched, but unchanged for the most part. Yet if a student starts working with the greater Akashics and their mentors or guides, 
they'll find the experience is not distant, not passive, not simply informative and educational. The process is experiential, and the actions the student takes there affect their lives here directly and immediately. One of the most dramatic examples of this is the ability to challenge barriers. Students are sometimes taken to small lakes or rivers, and their guides explain or demonstrate the journey continuing on the other side. If the student chooses to cross the body of water, they've entered into a new phase of their life, which is an awakening of their integrated nature. This is the same as a medicine elder of a tribe asking if the student is ready to enter into the deeper mysteries and accept the changes which this will bring about in their being. In classic symbology, the image is usually of a priest standing at the opening to a cave and asking if the student is ready to enter. In the Akashics, the option is sun-filled and light and gentle, even easy. Another way this opportunity presents is through walls. Walls which appear to separate sections of the Akashics are not actually features of the landscape, but symbolic representations of fears or barriers. Sometimes the student will fly over the area and see the barrier, but not be attracted to it or feel anything. The next time they pass the area, the barrier will be gone. In the meantime, an old pattern which the student has had in life may have faded away, never to return. Or whatever the barrier was representing will have healed. Other boundaries are more present and substantive, so occur in such a way that they can be addressed. They may appear like a wall of darkness, a fence of cloud, a gouge in the earth with no bottom, or some other symbol which represents for the student whatever barrier is holding them back from progressing in their life. Working with the barrier is not simply symbolic, not only a psychological process, but an actual resolution to the fear in the student's real life. Working with the barrier provides healing in all aspects of the person. A lifelong fear of falling may present as a chasm which must be spanned. If the person is willing and able to heal this, then in attempting to get across the empty space, they'll find in actuality the chasm is solid, like there's a plate of glass across the expanse. The student walks across without falling and begins to realize their fear was just that, fear. Another might have a fear of decisions and find a wall of doors. Picking one seems overwhelming, and yet it seems they must choose. But in this case, instead of doing as they've always done or refused to do, they realize they can open all of them at once, and when all the doors swing open, each is showing the exact same landscape. No choice would have been wrong, and all were right. People make structure out of chaos. That's what our highly developed brains are supposed to do. It's our one weapon for survival in this dangerous place we call home. We have no fur to keep us warm when temperatures drop. We're slow moving. We have no defensive weapons. We basically have our brains, opposable thumbs, and the ability to stand on our hind legs, which is a minus when it comes to speed, but a plus in other areas. So we're clever. We survive by sorting through the events which happen all around us, seeing patterns and structure, by figuring out the cause and thereby avoiding the effect, or being the cause and directing the effect. But being clever, sometimes we outwit ourselves. 
what if the structure we've made, the identity we've created for ourselves, is wrong? What happens when it becomes outdated? What happens when we cling to what we know, but what we know no longer is the cause and effect we live in? This is what happens when children from abusive homes become adults. The identity they created for themselves out of the world, a world from which they are a survivor, a victim, and a world which has taught them about danger and possible death, trust only in the reality that everything and everyone in the world can betray them. Most humans are not inherently untrustworthy, and to find a partner or a friend who is trustworthy, one must be able to trust. But how to do so when the structure of your life demands you see everyone as untrustworthy because this is what you know? What happens is these boundaries, this identity which the person has learned, changes from being an effect of their family of origin to the cause of how their life is lived as an adult. Because they don't trust, because they expect to be a victim, they direct all their actions towards this end, and so everyone around them responds to it. In order to stop the cycle, they have to move beyond the boundaries they've created, remove the structure which says they're a victim to become something else. But oh, how we hold on to our identities. It is seemingly the only thing unique to us that we can control in this world of chaos. But we are much stronger and more resilient than that. We don't die if we release our old identity to the winds and watch it blow away. Being vulnerable doesn't necessarily mean bad things will come. We are our intrinsic selves regardless of the boundaries we've created. Some of our barriers are not self-inflicted, but are part of the becoming process. They're taught to us, or are misconceptions arrived at through logic without access to all the facts. Their identity accreted through a lifetime of experiences, or they're bequeathed to us by our families in childhood. They come to us honestly, and looking for their origins might just be an exercise in futility because, in the end, we may not know where they have come from. But working through them to achieve freedom and begin unfolding what is on the other side is a gift. Removing the barrier which causes us to think the Akashics are there instead of all around us, as something other instead of a part of us, is a first step on the path. In general, the Akashics, the spiritual world where we reside, is not a place where we're meant to do or experience fear. Lessons on love and fear, about negativity, abuse, damage, and suffering are something we learn here and not a template for how the greater Akashics functions. This embodied life is a classroom, while the Akashics is the actual universe we live in. It's a beautiful, enriching, amazing place, and when we access it, we're going home to a place which supports, loves, and accommodates us in our uniqueness. All in the Akashics is love in every variety imaginable and many which are not. The only fearful things you'll experience there are the things you generate through your own fear. While working in the Akashics, your fears will be reflected back to you, pointed out, gently quelled, and you'll be given opportunities to work through them in the best, most loving way possible. So when you go to the Akashics, there's nothing to fear 
But if you're afraid or you find something which causes you fear, that's okay. It's an opportunity to work through your fears. You can always back out of the Akashics, catch your breath, ground, and decide how you want to approach things when you go back. You can also call in help. There will always be helpers around you from totems and power animals to guides and angels. The more you can approach and work with your fears, the more you can fully love yourself and everyone else now in this embodied life. And that's all the time we have this week. Next week, we'll be learning about a resource you have in your Akashic room, your relationship book. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a minute to show it some love on iTunes. Your comments are also appreciated. Thanks. Bye.